there's one truth that I wanted to take take up with you, and maybe I'd better take a few moments with it anyhow, and then you can be writing your question. If you don't mind, I'd like to take about 15, 20 minutes on this question of discipleship, which is closely associated with the spiritual life. We hear a great deal about discipleship these days, but we want to know what does the Bible say is a real disciple. I'm only going to give you the gist of this, and then we'll have a few moments for questions. What I'm going to give you for a few moments is just a a little gist of what we found out in the Bible on discipleship. By the way, you won't find the word disciple after the book of Acts. In the New Testament, you only find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. It's never again mentioned after the book of Acts. A person can be a Christian and not a disciple. I know there are those who say, if you're not a disciple, then you're not a Christian. A person can be a Christian and not a disciple. But when you come down into the New Testament and follow through, you'll be surprised at what is revealed concerning discipleship. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary. Dr. Mitchell begins this study with prayer for God's blessing before getting into some questions from the students. First of all, he's going to talk about biblical discipleship, what it is, and what do the scriptures say about discipleship, and what exactly is a disciple. He's going to give us a scriptural definition of what a disciple is, and he makes a distinction between being a born-again Christian and being a true disciple. What are the evidences concerning true discipleship? Dr. Mitchell will present several scriptures from the Bible which picture true discipleship. In being a true disciple, there are a few hindrances as well. By the way, the word for disciple in the Greek New Testament is the word which means one who is a learner. As a learner, let's open our Bible to Matthew chapter 8, verse 19, as Dr. Mitchell speaks on discipleship, on the unchanging word. Bible broadcast. You all have your questions this morning? Anybody write any questions out? Oh, you would. <laughs> uh, didn't I ask you to have questions this morning? Huh? Well, but no questions. Nobody got any questions? Well, you write your question out. We'll... Uh, Otherwise, I'll take the whole hour on, on another part of the spiritual life. There's one truth that I wanted to take, take up with you, and maybe I'd better take a few moments with it anyhow, and then you can be writing your questions. Let me tell you. All right, so we bow together, please, and pray. Our Father, we just thank you again this morning for the privilege that we have of being gathered 
for the study of the word, for the enrichment of our lives. We pray that our minds and our hearts may be exercised by the word of truth. Make us to realize that we cannot impart to others what we do not have ourselves. And we pray that we may ever walk to the praise of thy glory. Bless every one of these fellows, every one of these young women, and may these be days of real joy for them. And we pray this in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Right. I was going to spend a little time on, on Galatians 5 about walking in the Spirit. If you don't mind, I'd like to take about 15, 20 minutes on this question of discipleship which is closely associated with the spiritual life. We hear a great deal about discipleship these days, but we want to know what does the Bible say is a real disciple. I'm only going to give you the gist of this, uh, and then we'll have a few moments for questions. I think possibly I'll preface my remarks with a, with a statement concerning what a Jew said here in Portland. When I was pastor of this church many years ago, I had a, a young fellow who had a real entree with a Jewish community here in Portland. And one morning he went down to a Jewish lawyer's office to see this Jewish lawyer. He'd been dealing with him and talking with him. And when he came into the lawyer's office, uh, there was another lawyer there from Seattle, another Jewish lawyer. And on this lawyer's desk was a New Testament and this man, this Jewish lawyer, said to my young associate, he said, Mr. Smith, what we Jews want to see. Now, first of all, he said, you see that book? I read that book every day. I'm not a Christian. I'm a Jew. That is, he's in Judaism. But what we Jews want to see are some real disciples of Jesus. Do you know when he came and told me that, it kind of struck forced me into my mind. About a week afterwards, I was up with a China Inland Mission uh, up in Vancouver, B.C., to a board meeting. And Mr. Judd at that time was the Secretary of the Northwest in Vancouver, B.C. And we got up early in the morning, two of us, to come back to Portland to drive back. And he, he said, I'm going to give you Chinese breakfast. After we had Chinese breakfast, you know, eat with two pieces of stick, you know, Chopsticks, we had a wonderful time. Oh, I can poke it in, believe me, I can poke it in. Uh, he asked this question just before I left. He said, have you ever studied discipleship? And I kind of smiled and I said, oh, well, Mr. Judd, I've got two or three messages on discipleship. But he said, I don't care how many of you got. Let me ask you a question. Why did the Lord Jesus say to just 11 men, go into all the world and disciple all nations. Where are the 120? Where are the 500 brethren to whom he visited after resurrection? Why didn't he gather them all together? Why just 11? Well, I said, you tell me. He said, oh, no. You go and hunt it up. So I came home, Portland, and I, I took my concordance, and I read every verse in the New Testament where the word disciple was. What I'm going to give you for a few moments is just a, 
a little gist of what we found out in the Bible on discipleship. By the way, you won't find the word disciple after the book of Acts. In the New Testament, you only find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. It's never again mentioned after the book of Acts. Now, it might be well for me to make one or two simple statements so we can kind of focus it on what we want to do. A person, let me make one or two little statements. A person can be a Christian and not a disciple. I know there are those who say if you're not a disciple, then you're not a Christian. But a person cannot, a person can be a Christian and not a disciple. You cannot be a disciple of the Lord Jesus without being a Christian. Now, I recognize that the word disciple in a very broad sense means a follower. I know that. But when you come down into the New Testament and follow through, you'll be surprised at what is revealed concerning discipleship. Now, let me give you, personally, a definition of what a real New Testament disciple is. This is a definition of what a real New Testament disciple is. A disciple is one who has real affection for the person of Christ and is obedient to the word of Christ. Now, you just stop and think about that. A disciple, a New Testament disciple, is one who has real affection for the person of Christ and is obedient to the word of Christ. To be a Christian, am I going too fast for you? To be a Christian means to come into right relationship with the Savior. The moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, you became a Christian, you became a child of God. A Christian is one who has come into right relationship with the Savior. Now, it cost you nothing. It cost you nothing to be a Christian. It cost God everything. Is that right? And I'm dealing with a very, very personal thing because I'm, I'm pretty sure in this class a great many of you are not real disciples of the Savior. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. Christian is one who's in right relationship with a Savior. Now, I repeat it, it costs you nothing to be a Christian. You just accepted the Savior. But to be a disciple is going to cost you everything. Now, you think about that. To be a Christian is to come into right relationship with the Savior. To be a disciple going to cost you everything. Cost God everything for you to be saved. It'll cost you everything to be a real disciple. A young man came forward in a meeting after a meeting was over and he said to the, to the man who was speaking, he said, Sir, I'd give the world for what you have. And the, the speaker said, Young man, that's exactly what it cost me, the world. Now, we've been here uh, following through some teaching concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this class. Um, 
And I've been wondering sometime how much has really got down into our hearts. So, so I'm going to take a few minutes on this. All right, let me take the first one. Let me give you some evidences of a real disciple of Christ. First of all, and remember what I said on a definition concerning discipleship, it's one who has real affection for the person of Christ and is obedient to the word of Christ. Now a few evidences concerning that. The first one, of course, would be obedience. And I would turn you to the book of Matthew chapter 8. In the book of Matthew chapter 8, one man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Sounds very nice, doesn't it? And Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You turn with your Bible to Luke chapter 8, would you? Matthew chapter 8. And this is the only one I'm going to take up as far as the scripture is concerned. I'll quote the rest as we go along. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 19. In verse 18, you remember, Jesus had a great crowd following him, and he, he said, let's get away from them. Let's go to the other side. The Lord has much time for Christians who run with a crowd. Anybody can run with a crowd. Anybody can run with a crowd. I didn't take any, anything at all. Anybody can run with a crowd. So you have the Lord just turning his back on them. Now, in verse 19 and 20, certain scribes said, Master, Rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. Sounds very nice, doesn't it? And the Lord's amazing answer was, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's the end of that fellow. Now, this fellow is hindered by the world. See, this man wanted to get on the ground floor. I'll follow you wherever you go. I remember the Lord had crowds following him. Saying he wanted to be on the inside track. I'll go wherever you go. Is that so? Is that so? If you follow me now, I offer you nothing. I offer you nothing down here. And that's the end of that fellow. He's hindered by the world. Look at the next one. Another of his disciples said, Lord, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. This man is hindered by the flesh. The first man is hindered by the world. And how, how many Christians are hindered from being real disciples of Jesus because of the world, the pull of the world. And then think of a great many who have been hindered from being real disciples because of the pull of the flesh. Now, his father hadn't died. Don't jump to the conclusion his father had died. If his father had died, he wouldn't have been following the crowd. He wouldn't have been following Jesus. He would have been doing his filial duty, burying his dad, you know, to bury them the same day they died in the Near East. What he meant was this, let me go and stay with dad till dad dies. And then when dad dies, I'll come and follow you. Jesus said, follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. And how many a young fellow, and I say this very bluntly to you this morning, how many a young fellow, possibly in Multnomah, whoever you may be, you've come to a place where you want to follow the Lord and you offer yourself for, for the Lord's work, maybe to be a missionary, to be a pastor, whatever it be, and then some girl who's in love with you, she follows you right down as if she was going to do it too. 
And then afterwards, the whole thing blows up. I know what I'm talking about. I know of young fellows and I know of girls who have been hindered from being real disciples of the Lord, following him, obedient to him because of some fleshly relationships. Now you put the Lord first. Again, may I say, a disciple is one who has real affection for the person of Christ, devoted to the person of Christ, is obedient to his word. All right, the third one down in here. Verse 23, and he was entered into a ship and his disciples followed him. Obedience. And where do you think he led them? He led them right into a storm. Oh, but Mr. Mitchell, if I really follow the Lord, I'm going to have a wonderful time. Yes, he might lead you into a storm. I've had people tell me in this church that they had more happiness, less trouble before they were Christians than they had after they were Christians. Well, that's, that's to be expected. Before you were a Christian, you had no opposition. The moment you took Christ as your Savior and decided to follow him, you got three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You didn't have those before your enemies. See. So don't be surprised if you give yourself entirely to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. Don't be surprised if you have some problems. And the Lord led these disciples right into a storm. But remember, he was with them in the storm. Do you remember that? And they said, Master, save us, we perish. And he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. There was a calm. He stilled the storm. And Peter said to John, now this is not in the scripture, but uh, I'm putting this in here. Peter said to John, say, John, what kind of a rabbi are we following? Why, even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of a rabbi are we following? And Tom says, I don't know, but boy, you can sure still the storm. See, see there, he was with them in the storm. Did you know he never stilled the storm for the world, for the multitudes? He just stilled the storm just for believers. And every time you find the disciples in a storm on the Lake Genezareth, he's with his disciples. And he deliberately allows this for the person. Now these fellows, by the way, these fellows were commercial fishermen. They've lived all their lifetime on that lake. They know about these quick storms that come down from the mountains and just rush down on the lake of Genezareth, the lake of Sea of Galilee, and in about five minutes, the whole thing is a, is a turbulent, turbulent sea. They know all about that. They've lived their lives on that. This must have been a real one because they said, carest thou not that we perish? I'm quoting Mark on this. Sleep in the boat. And sometimes you say, Mr. Mitchell, I, I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I got no answer. You see, going through the storm and you prayed as if the Lord was asleep. Huh? And then when you get to the place, you think everything's gone. The Lord comes and stills the storm. The Lord will let me just tell you this. The Lord has not promised you that he will keep you from tests. He has promised to be with you in the test. He has promised to be with you and bring you through the test. And let me say very bluntly, every, every truth you claim to believe, don't, don't be surprised if you're tested on that truth. To see what's the real thing with you. 
So here we have obedience. So you have the first man hindered by the world, the second man is hindered by the flesh, and his disciples experience the power of Christ and they find out who Christ was. The winds, the waves obey him. Now, let me quote the rest of it, and then if you have any questions. You ready? The next evidence of a real disciple is abiding in the word of God. Now, this is found in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, where we read, Our Savior said to those disciples who believe, or those who believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Um, abiding in the word of God is an evidence of a disciple. You'll never be a disciple if you do not stay in the word of God. Now, I didn't, I didn't lay down that rule. The Lord did. If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. All right, the third evidence is fruit-bearing. And you'll find this in John's Gospel, chapter 15. I believe it's verse 8 or 9. Somebody can check up on that. Um, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So, so shall you be my disciples. I believe that's the eighth verse. I think the ninth verse says, my joy I give unto you that your joy might be full. And the seventh verse, the one before it is, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. That's where you can get your scriptures. You know, find out where it is. The eighth verse. Fruit bearing is an evidence of a real disciple. Hear him knocking, hear him pleading, for he loves you, my friend. Jesus loves you, my friend, today. Jesus came to Without fanfare, for he loves you, 
to live with man. Let me born again and be Trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. You may write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. The Unchanging Word. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins at 10.